So why crypto? So why crypto? So why crypto? Featuring Vishal and Quay. Greetings and welcome to So Why Crypto, a podcast where we deep dive into crypto as a technology. Uh, this is Vishal. My name is Quay. And today's episode is going to be a little different that we've done. Uh, we're halfway through season one. And so it's time for us to look back and share our learnings about crypto. And so in this season one, we've had three guests come by. And let me just go ahead and give a little introduction and make sure you'll understand that in the show notes, if you haven't got a chance to check out some of uh, our guests that have come by in the past episodes, you can do that in the show notes. We'll leave some links there for you. But Brian Estes is the CEO and CIO of Off The Chain Capital. Brian is uh, one of the early investors in Coinbase. And in 2014 was the year decentralization caught his brain and his eyes. And, and he did uh, go through some white papers to make sure that this was uh, the way that he was looking at it. Because, you know, sometimes you got to understand a little bit more. What are your thoughts on that? Anything to add? Yeah, no, Brian. Brian is excellent um, at explaining Bitcoin technology. <clears throat> one of the unique things about him is that he has a finance background and a computer science background. So I think when you combine those two, you're able to understand what Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as a technology can do. So uh, I think he was a wonderful guest that we had that uh, would be helpful for our listeners to go listen to. Absolutely. And also Eric Gates uh, came by and, and was a part of our show. And what he was, he has a book, he's an author, Seventh Property, Bitcoin and Monetary Revolution. And Eric focuses on the function of money, the role of money in society, and the future of Bitcoin. In 2015, Eric first heard about Bitcoin, and it took him some time, uh, again, to do a little bit of research to understand. And it wasn't until 2017 that he knew Bitcoin was going to be revolutionary. Yeah, and then Eric is another guy who has some finance background. He went deep, uh, and I read his book, and the book is wonderful. He explains the history of money. And uh, the fiat standard, how it looks like today and, and the future of it. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful book for people to, to check it out. And uh, you know, easy thing to start is just go into the, the podcast that we have with him. And he explains uh, a lot of things about money and where crypto is going. So uh, Eric was also a wonderful guest. Absolutely. And Chad Barraford well, was uh, the core de- developer of ThorChain. ThorChain allows users to swap token A for token B in a decentralized way. Chad started writing code in early 2000s or mid-2000s, which helped him develop his entrepreneurial spirit. And in 2017, that was the year it bit him. 2017 was the year he heard the calling for crypto. Um, Chad Barraford, a very exciting guy, you know, enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, just just to be clear, he's still involved in uh, ThorChain 2023. And... um, he was the builder that we had. So uh, the way he interviews, the way he talks about crypto comes differently than how Brian and Eric have. So I think it's also uh, just a diverse thought comes in as a builder. I think we're going to have more and more builders during this episode. And uh, Chad is one of them. And uh, you're building a wonderful thing where you can swap a coin A for coin B. So, for example, Bitcoin, Ethereum, without going to a centralized place like Coinbase or, or things like that. You could just do it uh, decentralized. And yeah. 
Yeah. Check out that episode. That's a wonderful episode as well. Yeah. And if you haven't got a chance again to see that episode, we will have all the links in the show notes so you can enjoy our guests that have come through. But in our learnings in talking to all the guests, it seemed that there were some narratives and, and some underlining tones that seemed to be uh, something that we should get into and talk and discuss a little bit more. Those three topics were what is money, the future of money and crypto, and the adoption of crypto. So knowing that, let's jump right into it. So yep. so let's start with what is money? Yeah, so let me let me ask you a question, Quay. So where do you stand on your understanding of what is money? Um, after going through these three episodes or even before that, like uh, what has changed uh, in your understanding? Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt I knew nothing. You know, I, I'm I'm understanding this now. And again, this is why we're learning here. This is about learning. So for many people, including myself, you know, I look at money, you know, as a as an end means like you, you get it and you're paying your child's tuition or you're paying uh, the cable bill or whatever like that. Like that's the way I kind of looked at money but didn't understand the history of money, didn't understand there's a process to this. And so understanding money and the history of money was just super important to understand. And uh, I, I've been through a lot of schooling and I did not receive this type of knowledge through a, a lot of schooling. And so just these conversations that we had with our guests was able to really enlighten me and more importantly, get me out there looking and researching and understanding a little bit more. I know for a fact that in my circle with my family and my friends, nobody's thinking about money like this. And so it, it is. It's, feels good to, to know that I should go out there and research a little bit to understand. Vishal, how about you? I mean, you are an ex-banker um, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you understand money, but did you understand it like this? Was our, was our guest able to give you new light on money? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think those three episodes really helped me understand better about money. Um, I also am an ex-banker. Uh, I also have a degree in finance. And honestly, in both of those experiences, I did not fundamentally understand what money is, the history of money. Uh, what fiat currency is, right? So I didn't really talk about it again, using it, but didn't really get to learn it. So this is really, really wonderful. I think um, had I learned that before, it would have been, uh, it would have made a lot more sense for me how finance works and cryptocurrency. I think I would have been able to understand it a lot faster. Uh, I've been in cryptocurrency since 2017, but honestly begin to understand it now where uh, I can actually explain it to someone else too. Right. And, and so money seems complex, but um, it's a good place to start. And when we're talking about understanding, um, how would you explain money to a smart 12 year old? Sure. So I think I think saying money is uh, or, or the society or the schools have made money is a complex thing. It's somewhat ridiculous to me. Uh, I think, you know, we talked about like, you know, my college didn't really sit me down and saying, okay, you need to actually understand money. You're going to go into finance, right? Or my parents didn't explain to me. It is what it is. So at this point, you take ownership on yourself saying, right. all right, I'm going right. to go understand it myself. Uh, it's it's a crucial part of it. Um, so that being said, to so explain someone what money is, um, one, of the, one of the best way to start is like, uh, 
let's let's look at ourselves as a human, right? So humans, we build tools to get what we want and desire, right? And when we put a bunch of tools together, it becomes a technology, right? So let's fundamentally understand what a tool, a technology, money is just a tool with a technology. And uh, just to have analogous, let's talk about language, okay? So, so language is one of the technology that we desire to share information with each other, mm-hmm. and we use a language, right? So that's that's the function of uh, of language itself. So I have information in my mind that I can actually communicate to you or write it down. Uh, that's what language does. And if you look at money, money, you're just exchanging value with another person. Mm-hmm. So that's fundamentally, if you can start from there, languages where you're uh, exchanging information to in money or exchanging value with another person is is a good way to start saying okay so that's that's a good starting right, point right, right now imagine living in a society where there is no money so you live there and um, in this society that you know you have to build a house you have to farm you have to do uh, other things like attend to your to your animals and uh, you also need to make your own clothes you got to do all these things yourself and uh as the society gets better, gets uh, larger and larger, the society will ask for specialization. So I will come to you saying, Quay, you're really good at building houses. Would you mind building it for me? One of the first questions you're going to ask is like, well, if I go build your house, how am I going to do all the things for myself? Like how am I going to take care of my animals? How am I going to farm? How am I going to make my own clothes? And that's where the technology, the tool comes in saying, okay, where we actually invented a technology called money, where you come build my house or build all the houses in our society as we're growing, and we're going to give you money. With that money, you can go and exchange things. You can go get uh, fruits, veggies, whatever you need. You can actually you know, go buy clothes. You don't have to make it yourself. You specialize in building a home. Right. That's what money enables humans to do. I think that's a, that's a critical thing to understand that uh, you know you can actually specialize in something. Uh, further, as society grows, right, so you ended up having people who are architects, who are engineers of the house, uh, people who build, who paint the house. So you, you, know, you, you begin to specialize even more as society grows, and money is, money is actually the tool that allows it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yes, absolute sense. This particular problem where people want to specialize has had happen throughout the world so we have different societies live in different worlds uh, different different areas of the world and they all had different things they use as money so some people use shells some people used uh, different type of uh, yap community used big rocks you know people used uh, commodities like salt like gold like silver so all these people were using different type of things as money and uh, that got a society to a certain point and uh, as societies grew even more, so let's say going back to a house building example, you're building a house. Now, you know, steel is going to be better than actually building a house with wood or, or depending on where you live. Right. Usually steel steel is a pretty good example of building a home. Uh, let's say my society has figured out how, you know, we have access to steel uh, and you need steel and we want to, you want to buy it from us. We give you steel, but if you use, let's say, shells and we use uh, 
a different form of money like right. uh, like big rocks or something like that, the exchange can't happen. So in order to do that, uh, the best version that came for humans was gold and silver. All societies throughout basically looked at gold and silver being scarce. Uh, they are the same. If you have one ounce of gold, I have one ounce of gold. It looks the same. You can actually uh, look at it, make sure it's 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 real or not. So people started exchanging gold and silver. That sort of became the standard of the, the whole world where people started using uh, to transfer things like uh, we talked about like steel. You could take it to any level, right? So societies uh, starting to sell horses to each other, different technologies, right? And uh, that's that's what money enable us as humans to do. And I think it's, it's important to understand before we start going into crypto and other things. Right, right. And, and know too that Brian uh, spoke about this at detail. So he will make sure to put those show notes in there so you can kind of follow along and, yeah. and kind of see what he also talked about. And yeah. so- I, I do want to add a, a couple of more things. So okay. just to just to finish our, our, our example of like the human focus, we've got the gold and silver, that's pretty good. So gold and silver could only bring people so far humanity societies right so uh because gold is bulky right to taking from one place to another if you want to um, have smaller pieces of gold uh, you lose some shreds uh so people starting to figure out like okay well what are we going to do so we started having paper money uh so the paper money is basically typically a banker who's going to keep the gold or silver in a vault and they're going to say here is a certificate that you can actually go buy steal from some another person yeah. that person can always come to the bank and say hey i want to convert this into gold right so that brought us to paper money because uh, it was easy to to be portable and uh, being able to use uh, much more faster than carrying gold and silver with you um, and then we come to 1971 that's where the fiat standard starts so the fiat is basically uh, money that is issued by the government and it's not backed by any commodity like gold, silver, or anything else. It's basically trust in the government. Uh, that's where the fiat, that's where we are now. That's the most dominant form of money. Uh, most governments in the world use fiat currency today. Wow. And and again, so you'll get a chance to hear a little bit more uh, about what Brian uh, spoke of um, on his section and his part of the podcast. So, you know, we obviously got to dig a little deeper on this. So uh, is this is a good time to talk about the function of money, would you say? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So functions of money. Um, let's, let's go back to our language uh, analogy. So there's a function for language. So language is we're able to, to share information with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Exchange information. That's the function of money. If you can't exchange information, then it's not a language, right? So that is what language they're designed for. The same thing for money. Money has three functions. First thing that money does is store of value. And the second thing it does is unit of account. And the last thing does medium of exchange. So those are three things that money needs to do in order for it to be called money. Uh, Let me give you a concrete example going back to our our building example. So let's say Alice is an architect. And Alice is a job. Alex get paid in U.S. dollars. She gets paid the salary. She puts the money into her bank account. She's using the first function, which is store of value. The store of value allows you to use the money in the future to buy anything you want. And then the second thing is unit of account. So now Alice needs to actually have an apartment. 
So she goes and talk to a landlord. Landlord say it's going to be $2,000 a month. And when the landlord says it's $2,000 a month, Alice understands what that means. They both do. That's essentially called a unit of account. Okay. When you say something, I know exactly what it means when it comes to money. So that's unit of account. And now the, the third function is medium exchange, where when it's time to actually pay the rent, she pays $2,000 to the landlord. That is medium exchange. She's getting a place to live, and in return, the landlord is actually getting $2,000. So these are the three functions of money that needs to happen. Uh, U.S. dollar happens to be the most common uh, as of today. And uh, I hope that explained the functions of money. Yeah. we And so and all that is um, a form of communication, or you know, at least when you think about the three functions of money, um, I think that is a clear way of people to understand, right? Um, so when we talk about the the three functions of money and understanding that a little bit more, which you've just done, let's talk about the properties of money. Like, can you give a little bit more clarity on the functions of money, or sorry, the properties of money? Yeah, absolutely. So the properties of money. Let's 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 go back to again our language and uh, analogy. So so language needs to be built as some other things. So it has to have specific rules, it needs to have specific sounds, it has specific meanings, it needs to be learnable by people, and so on. There's more. Um, so those are the properties that a language needs to have in order it to be a language, right? And the same thing is for money. The money needs to actually have certain properties. So there are six common properties that uh, the money has. So the first one is scarcity, then acceptability, durability, portability, divisibility, and fungibility. So let me uh, quickly go over these six in the in the sense of, so people understand it. So scarcity is the gold and silver is really good. It's scarce, it's only about 2% of uh, growth happen year after year in gold uh, supply. So gold has been uh, considered you know, a scarce resource and a commodity. So it's used as money historically very much and people use the store of value today. Acceptability. You can go from you know one place to another. So U.S. dollar is probably the most common one that you can actually people accept all over the place or fiat currency in general today, right? right? Then you get the durability. Durability is something that you could be used over and over and over. If you go to shells, shells can break, right? So you've got the the U.S. dollar actually stay in circulation for a while. The gold and silver is pretty good as well for durability. Then you get portability. That's where gold and silver weren't that good. That's where the paper money came in. That's where fiat comes in or electric money uh, that we're sending through wire or Venmo today. So portability is really important. Uh, divisibility. So the U.S. dollar could be divided into hundreds, one dollar into, right? So uh, gold and silver is somewhat hard to divide, uh, right? So the, the, the shreds come in that we talked about earlier. And the last thing is fungibility. Fungibility is one unit equals one unit. So, uh, you know, gold is really good. One ounce of gold is one ounce of gold. So historically, people were able to exchange it because they know what that means. And today we do the fiat currency, but we do the conversion. But it still is fungibility is really important. So those are the six properties that are that our money needs to have. It's, uh, it's important for people to understand. Right. And when you talk about understanding, that's exactly what, you know, we're clarifying for you to understand a little bit more about money. And so our guest, Eric Yates, he has a book out. Uh, it's called The Seventh Property of Money. He starts to introduce a new um, property of money, which is immutability. 
And so you read the book. You can give a little bit more understanding on. Yeah, I think, I think you should definitely go listen to Eric uh, explain in our podcast, The Seventh Property. And The Seventh Property, as you mentioned, is immutability. So mutability is something that could change. Immutability is something that cannot change. So one of the properties that um, Eric brings in is he talks about the fiat currency, which we will talk about a little bit more, which is the U.S. dollar, the euro, yuan, yen, all these government-issued currencies. Uh, one of the things he argues is that the, uh, the quantity of it keep changing, right? So there is no cap of how much it can be. Um, gold had this two, two and a half, three percent per year increase. It was pretty acceptable. People were understanding it. Okay, it's 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 somewhat uh, immutable. Uh, however, Bitcoin, which has twenty one million bitcoins, so Eric makes a case for that immutability is really really important to have a property and a money and the future of money looks like that. I think it's a it's a wonderful argument that you want to listen to. Um, that Eric brings up, uh, not only he talks about the seventh property, he talks about the other six as well, the history of money. He talks about uh, that in detail on our podcast and, and in his book. Uh, so that would help people really understand the properties and the functions and the history of money. Right. So, okay. So now we've talked about the history of money, its function and it's the properties of money. So let's talk about the current form of money. Uh Fiat money, which is a new concept to me. You know, when I when I first heard the word fiat, I thought we were talking about a vehicle, but then you know I had to take a back step to understand. Okay, we're not talking about a vehicle. So again, understanding money. This is what it's all about. This is what the podcast is all about. Making sure that we're educating here. So when when we're talking about fiat, what are your thoughts on fiat? Yeah. So so fiat. Let's let's define it first. So we mentioned earlier. So fiat is a money that is backed by government, so trust in government. There is no commodity like gold and silver that is backing it, right? So it's, it's just government trust. So government is the key word here. Now, if you look at government, there are competent governments, there are incompetent governments, right? So you look at US government as being uh, one of the competent governments, right? So we have about 60% of all the currency that that, that gets exchanged all over the world is used as a U.S. currency. And uh, by people using it, they're actually voting and saying that that is the most competent government that we believe in as far as the policies are concerned. And since there is no cap on the fiat currency, that builds even more trust into the government, right? Is the government doing it right or wrong? Now, then you look at incompetent places like Venezuela, Argentina, Zimbabwe. Uh, they've had a really, really high inflation. And they've had high inflation because the government was not competent, right? So they, they couldn't really do what they were supposed to do. Central banks were created about 100 years ago. They're the one who actually manage what the fiat currency does in the, in the U.S. is called the Federal Reserve. And the goal of central bank in general is to not let the prices fluctuate, right? So control the inflation. So most of them accept that 2 to 3% inflation a year is a good thing. And, you know, we could talk about in another episode why that's a good thing. Even gold had that. The, the U.S. federal government, I should point out, has two goals. So it talks about, we talk about inflation, where they want the prices to be stable. And the second thing that they do is unemployment. So make sure people are employed. So a lot of the policies, how the money supply works, is really based on uh, the federal government policies to make sure those two functions are served. Mm -hmm. That gives you a little bit of what fiat currency does. Um, 
Uh, and, you know, again, we could talk about it more in, in other episodes as well. Right. And so when you think about this, um, what are leading economists saying that understand the economy so well, the, the history of money and the current conditions? Obviously, the, the best economists understand all that. So what, what are they saying, you know, that's going on in the world? Yeah, so... So, you know, there's there's narratives going around. We, we talked about narratives in our first episode, right? So there's narratives going around that we should go back to gold standard. Uh, there's some politicians even talk about it. Uh, and going back to gold standard, uh, when you ask leading economists what we should do. So University of Chicago has a booth, School of Business. Uh, it's, it's actually the number one business school in the U.S. Uh, every year they do a survey with the lead prominent um, economists in the world. Mm-hmm. And 2012, they did this survey where they asked 40 prominent economists, should the U.S. go back to gold standard? And uh, the answer was very clear. They said no. And out of 40, wow. you know how many said we should go back on gold standard? Zero. Wow. So gold standard, as far as the economists are concerned, is, is not a way to, to manage the newer economy. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth mentioning one of the things that uh, the fiat currency does is, is if a country is about to go to recession, the fiat currency allows a government uh, many different ways to not let it go into depression, or Great Depression in this case. So we learn a lot from Great Depression in the early 1900s. And then when 2008 came, they learned from that and we were only went to recession. And uh, I think uh, I think there's something to that uh, where it gives government the power and uh, ability to to not like something go into a depression. Right. Um, and yeah, so that's 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 some of the some of the things that you should understand what economists think about it. And uh, once you more understand what fiat does and the role of government in it, uh, I think it begin to demystify some of the narratives you here in the crypto space or in general when people talk about fiat. Right. And, and you know, I, uh, we have these conversations while walking or, you know, whenever we're just conversating. And so this gold standard, the stop process, the fiat, you know, the, the fact that economists, 40 of them, were <laughs> said no, is is just amazing to me because you rarely hear, you know, in any type of decision making that like, it's just zero, just absolutely no. So, I mean, so this whole podcast that we started is all about understanding crypto as a technology. So as you spoke of earlier, narratives, there, there are many narratives and crypto space so what are the most common um that you're hearing i know for myself i've hear, heard that fiat is evil so you know is that something that's a big narrative in crypto or you know what, what are your thoughts yeah that probably is the narrative in crypto mm-hmm. that fiat is is evil let me just talk about narratives a little bit um i'm a writer so i understand narratives and uh, one of the one of the narratives that you first learn as a writer is called hero's journey mm-hmm. So hero's journey is essentially a, a hero starts sort of from the midpoint and there's a villain appear and the hero goes down and then hero overcomes that villain and hero wins in the end. It's a very simple thing to explain something, uh, hero's narrative. So crypto does nothing different. They use a lot of hero narrative where they make, crypt- they make fiat the villain and crypto is the hero in this case and crypto is going to come on top. Um, you know, you, you hear narrative on one end, like somebody like Michael Saylor is saying that crypto is the second 
coming in money, all the fiat currency, everything is going to go into Bitcoin one day, right? Then you have author like Nasir Talib, Nasim Talib, says that people who own Bitcoins are big idiots, right? So you have these narratives that are like really on the spectrum. I think uh, I think it's 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 important for us to point out these narratives and. Uh, once you do, you begin to see things for what they are, and that's what we want to do here. Right. And I, I don't think crypto, uh, fiat is evil, and I don't think uh, people who believe in Bitcoin are big idiots either. I think those are narratives that are that people are pushing, and uh, we will dissect information from misinformation on this podcast. That's part of part of the thing we're going to do. Right. And, and there's so many people that. Uh, you know, feed into narratives. And I, and I think, again, the one thing to understand about narratives is educating yourself. You know, yeah. you'll, you'll see, as you've seen, you know, uh, Vishal was able to give two examples of people that are way opposite on the spectrum. So, you know, it seems like maybe in the middle, but again, you have to do it for yeah. yourself. Let me, add, let me add something to that as well. So when, when you hear a narrative, what do you do, right? So when you hear a narrative like this hero's journey that we, we talked about, uh, most people, what they do is they accept or reject a narrative, yep. right? That's the easier thing to do. Like, hey, Michael Saylor, he's great. I'm going to accept this narrative. Michael Saylor, he's an idiot. I'm going to reject it or vice versa. You know, th- th- that's what people do uh, mostly. Uh, I know our audience is smart. So uh, there's a third option where you withhold judgment, right? So some of three of the, the hardest words for people to say put together in a sentence are, I don't know, right? Uh, I'm guilty of it. It's hard to say. So when you withhold judgment, you're like, actually, I don't know. I don't know if this narrative is correct or incorrect. Once you get to that point where you withhold your judgment, you have two options. One, you can say, well, this is not important enough for me to understand what Michael Saylor is saying or this other narrative, whatever that might be. You just withhold judgment. You're like, actually, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's a scam or if it's not. I'm actually going to sit on the sideline and... If it becomes ever important to me, I will understand it. And the second option you have is where you go, all right, this is important enough narrative for me to understand, or in this case, money, what is crypto, right? You begin to educate yourself. You begin to understand, right? Once you begin to understand, you begin to see things for what they are mm-hmm. instead of narratives. Things are much more complicated, things like money in society. So once you begin to understand, and I hope we take you in the journey where we can actually help you explain you know, what are the what are the things that crypto can do and cannot do? Uh, what is behind the technology? What is money? Uh, I think then you can make a really educated guess on which narrative is correct or not. Or is a narrative more like well, we're going to talk about what we think crypto is, where it's going. Yeah, I'm, I'm very guilty of that myself. Like I there's no doubt that I don't necessarily all the time withhold judgment. Um, and it is very hard to say, I don't know, you know, and, and I know for a fact that I can may not know, not be enlightened on a certain topic, hear something, hear a narrative, and then try to go back and say and speak intelligently about it to like my wife or something like that. When I know I should just be going to stop and say, I don't know, let me do the research and I'll get back to you, you yeah. know, so that's the right way to do it. And so um, I, I know I don't though. I don't. So I fall into that trap all the time. So um, so we said we were going to talk about three different topics within our show. And so we're moving on to number two, the future of money and crypto. So let's talk about the future of money and the role of crypto. How do you think we should describe this to our fans, our listeners, our followers? 
Yeah. So looking at crypto as technology, I think we, we go back to our language again, right? We talk about languages of communicating information with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's let's go where the internet came, right? So so you all three of our guests talk about internet uh, when they talk about this particular technology. So I think it's it's worth acknowledging that internet is really crucial point for even crypto to exist. Right. And anyhow, so, so, so looking back at our, our analogy of language, so internet is about, it, when, it, when it first came about, it was about sharing information. So, uh, you know, academia, they were actually putting all the, the paper research they were doing online so other people could see it. Uh, you know, email started very early where academias could actually talk in real time. Like these are the things that we're actually figuring out. And uh, soon blogs came around and Google research came around. A lot of that, that the first development of, uh, of internet was information sharing amongst people, mm-hmm. right? So you, you begin to have that. And then later on, we ended up having social media. That's again, just sharing information with each other, right? So kind of go back to the language uh, analysis. And then we begin to build commerce on it. So uh, one of the person who's done the most to revolutionize commerce is Jeff Bezos, right? So uh, finding Amazon in the 90s, uh, he said, hey, let's begin to exchange value on the internet, mm-hmm. right? So, so Amazon came, eBay came, those are some of the, some of the big ones. Walmart ended up going online, right? So, so you have all this commerce, this exchange of value begin to go online, and then now you have consulting businesses that are online. There's people you talk to that you you know pay for the service. You never actually see them in person. They live all f- across the world that you're exchanging value. So 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 understand that, and then then later on we ended up having like you know PayPal, Stripe, all these things built. Um, so where does crypto fit in this? So I think what crypto is, it, it you could program money on the internet, and uh, which it, it solves a problem with the middleman. As uh, as uh, internet begin to have more and more stuff built on it, like social medias, uh, news, uh, you begin to have eBay, Amazon. It begin to actually really have layers and layers of more and more and more middlemen. So we described this in our first episode, problem of the middleman. So middlemen keep growing. So I think crypto, what it does is actually handles solves this problem in the middleman mm-hmm. where you can actually program most of these things on on uh, on the computer on in a, in a code that can actually help you exchange value with one another so you might not need stripe you might not need paypal you might not need amazon in the, in the future you might not even need social media that you can actually do peer-to-peer and and uh, it's all for two things one you don't have to trust in a centralized party something like paypal stripe or amazon and the second thing uh, it does is it, it will bring the cost down. Since we begin to do a lot of things peer to peer, you don't have to pay 30% to, to all these different things, different uh, parties, the middlemen that are involved, whether it's an Uber, Airbnb, all these things could be reprogrammed on the internet by using this crypto technology that is honestly built on a really legacy system that was in person. Uh, uh, in-person infrastructure, uh, the internet is really, uh, you know, revolutionary in our in our lifetime. And I think crypto is the one that's going to let us exchange value on the internet in in a way that most of us can't even imagine. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And when you think of the middleman, um, you know, 
we continue to see the middleman as being an issue. Um, problem is, you know, do people want to have that middleman in their life or would they like to see it differently and shrink the middleman as we spoke about? So, you know, we, we will continue to see this and this will be a part of the learning that you're going through to understand how crypto is a technology. So um, how do you see crypto as a technology for the future? If you want to look at the future, one of the things you want to look at, crypto can, uh, I think the, the, the window we can look at is 10 years from now, right? A lot of people want to tell you what's going to happen today, tomorrow. When you look at looking at future, it's, it's good to have a, a, a larger window. So 10 years is pretty good for this kind of technology. And can crypto go to zero, right? So it's about one trillion market cap today. Can it go to zero, or can it go and go berserk and eat all the fiat, as some of the people have said, and then you know Stripe and Visa and all these other things? Could it be like uh, this bigger thing of money that we've never seen? So, so those are two like sort of two far ends of the spectrum. And uh, then there are things like, could it be just a replacement for gold as a store of value? Uh, could it be a replacement for just Stripe and Visa for the internet? Um, you know, there's many, many spectrums that, that it can go into. I think it's worth, worth mentioning that, uh, you know, it's not one or the other. It could go either way and none of us know the future. Right. But I think once you start to understand technology, you're like, well, there's something to it, right? There's something to this particular technology. I think once you say, hey, this is so many different things can happen, I think this rolls into what are, uh, what have Brian, Eric, and Chad have said about it. Right. So I'll let you. Yeah, they all have, you know, their thoughts behind it. Um, Brian believes that Bitcoin will be store value like gold. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, 500 billion market cap today and gold is uh, 12 trillion. Smart contract technologies like Solana or BNB will win the smart contract proof of stake of war. And Eric Fields and his thoughts were alternative to the central banking system because it's big enough and the government can't stop. And the network is secure, though. So our guests uh, were speaking about some of these topics. And so I, we should talk about that. So let's start with what our guest said about it. Yeah, again, looking at the, looking at the window of 10 years or so. So uh, Brian Estes, uh, you know, he brings up really, really wonderful points. Uh, his thesis is that Bitcoin is probably going to be store of value. And uh, that's similar to gold. So, for example, Bitcoin today is about $500 billion. And he thinks it can eat up the gold. Mm. So it's a gold store of value is about $12 trillion. Brian, Brian also thinks smart contracts are going to be a thing. Uh, he wasn't a big fan of Ethereum because he thinks it's, it's, it's really centralized. Uh, and he likes Solana and BNB, uh, Binance Smart Chain. And uh, he thinks those two are going to be really, really uh, wonderful solutions to smart contracts. Uh, again, you should listen to Brian uh, talk about it, explain it. We'll have it in the show notes as well as a small clip. Uh, and then Eric talked about it. Eric think it's going to be the alternative to uh, how money is handled today. So how the banking systems are. So so this is on the one end, he thinks like the, all fiat currency and everything is going to roll into Bitcoin. And, uh, and, and he... When we asked uh, Eric about smart contracts and other cryptocurrencies, 
if the feature is multi-chain or single chain, he thinks all roads lead to uh, to Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is going to uh, uh, going to be the currency that you can actually build smart contracts on, do other things. Uh, again, you should listen to Eric talk about it. Uh, he also talks about it in an ideal world. We should have one currency, and he thinks you know Bitcoin is with the seventh property. We talk about immutability is is really really uh, strong cases in, in his opinion to be the form of money that we need to have. And uh, that's that's you know that's his view. He says you know he he's open to changing his mind, uh, but but it, it, he thinks in the near future it's going to be a store of value, and eventually it's going to be all three functions of money was a unit of account and the medium exchange that uh, Bitcoin's going to take over. I, I'd like love, love you, you to talk about what Chad had thought thought about what the future looks like. I should add that Eric mentioned that crypto in general has sold its soul by giving away fundamental principles of crypto, mainly proof of work. Uh, let's let's talk about chat. Uh, chat, our guest, also had this, these thoughts about crypto in the future. And Vishal, you give a little more detail on that. Yeah, so one of the Chad, Chad is a builder. So Chad talks about like who has access to the financial system, right? So he said when you start looking at it, uh, that's where, you know, we see uh, quite a lot of gap. So 80% of the world doesn't have access to financial uh, system where they can't get a loan. Uh, they can't pay for stuff. They can't open a bank account. So he's, he's his big focus is on building the infrastructure. And he says, once we build the crypto infrastructure, a lot of people are going to use it and I'm going to know that they're using it. Uh, and, and you know, when we asked him about, is, it, is the future going to be just Bitcoin and, or multi-chain? He's like, he said, look, there's no one tool that humans have ever invented that has answered to all of this. Uh, there's no difference when it comes to this particular technology. He thinks it's definitely going to be different, different uh uh, protocols like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, all these are going to solve problems. Some of the things we don't even know about are, are out there. They're going to solve some issues, including Torchain that, uh, that he's a uh, core dev on. So, so Chad really talks about, you know, Bitcoin being the store of value. So I think, I think that theme came across all three of our guests. Mm-hmm. And uh, he thinks Ethereum is a world computer, uh, similar to something like JavaScript or, you know, what people are building on top of it. Uh, one of the examples I use is Stripe, it's something like Stripe, where coders love the program programmability of uh, Stripe. It's the same thing. A lot of the developers love Ethereum as a programmability uh, to exchange value. So I think uh, you know, Chad are, is, is is describing that as uh, that that's going to be the future where we need to build the infrastructure, but Bitcoin's going to be store of value, and Ethereum is going to be more or smart contracts going to be more of uh, a world computer. Right. And so now we understand Chad, Brian, and Eric's you know thought process. Vishal, where do you stand at when it comes to the future of money and crypto in 10-year period, let's say? Yeah, so I think I think Bitcoin will take a chunk out of gold as a store of value. Um, that's already happening. That's going to happen more and more as uh, more people are educated about it, how scarce it is. And, uh, you know, really, I encourage people to talk, to listen to Brian because he, he explains it really well as a stock to flow, many different models that, that he looks at mm-hmm. that explain how store of value is going to be good. So the more and more I read about it, I think it's, it's a really wonderful place. I think the other thing you have to look at is some of the countries that, that are going to adopt 
uh, Bitcoin is a legal tender. So, so far, El Salvador has done that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, many people are saying it's 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 it has been a success so far. Uh, I think the sample size is too small to say it has been a success so far. Um, I should point out they also have a U.S. dollar as a legal tender that El Salvador doesn't have their own fiat currency. Um, I would say part of that is that the government is not as strong as some of the other country, uh, countries. So they're taking a chance on Bitcoin. So this is a great experiment as adoption go. Also, Central African Republic uh, also had in 2022 uh, Bitcoin as a legal tender. So the, again, those two countries, as more countries experimented, some are going to fail, some going to do really well. I think uh, we're going to see where on the global scale the adoption uh, in this particular technology goes. And Bitcoin is a, is a, using as a alternative fiat, fiat model that we have now. Uh, also, I think uh, smart contracts are fascinating. Uh, you know, they're able to uh, exchange a lot of value on the internet that we are not able to do today without using a lot of middle middlemen. So more and more you look at smart contracts, what they do, I think they're going to uh, be a huge thing that uh, that's going to happen in the future. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and a lot of that is going to be smart contracts going to be in the, in the, in the back. People are not even going to know just the way people, a lot of people, when they use the internet, uh, the web hosting is being done by, you know, some like Amazon web services, Microsoft Azul, like 70% of that. And most of people won't even know what they are. It's going to be something similar. I think in the future, things are going to be built on top of smart contract, yeah. top of Bitcoin that people are going to be like, I don't know how I got here, but I like it. It's much better. It's, it's you know, cost efficient for me and um, not relying on a lot of middlemen we described earlier yeah and it seems there's there's optimism there for you right you you feel yeah, yeah totally i think it's technology is going to uh solve a lot of things not everything however uh it's it's optimistic yeah it's, yeah. it's worth paying attention to it's, it's the whole reason why here where you know i'm i'm also an optimist and so i think like in 10 years more people will feel comfortable with crypto uh, we will continue to see, you know, building on different chains. And what I really think is going to happen are people outside of the U.S. are going to lead with adoption. Um, however, there will be bumps in the road like there always is. You need time to to figure out something, something new, especially when you talk about technology. You just need some time. And so we know that crypto has a, a market cap of one trillion. So that tells us it's here to stay and it's here right now. It won't vanish by tomorrow. So if crypto gets more adoption from this point right here on, um, will we see that? What will adoption look like? Yeah, so, uh, you know, let's let's look at what some of our uh, guests have said, and then we can add our two cents to it, what we think. Um, so I think Brian brings up uh, adoption in, in a really unique sense. So he talks about S-curve. So if you go back to internet, if you're trying to explain a lot of different things like how computers, people adoption, people had electricity, you can look at this thing called S-curve. It basically says that the adoption over time accelerates. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things to look at is whatever whatever time frame it takes for technology to do zero to 10%, it's going to take you the same time frame, 10 to 90% uh, adoption. Right. So Brian has this uh where in the us the adoption for bitcoin is around 50 percent at this point and it's it's growing exponentially it's mm-hmm. going to get to 90 in the next three to four years and uh, five years i think he says 
Uh, and uh, as far as uh, the world is concerned, I think there are only around one or two percent of adoption. So, so the S curve says when they get to ten percent, the world, and then we're going to get the next in the same time frame. So S curve really explains well how the adoption is going to be. Uh, also, you have to look at network effects. Uh, this is kind of going back to the internet. If it's only you and me on the internet, then uh, the internet is not that as valuable. Uh, internet becomes valuable when there's more people into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, there's a law called Metcalf's Law that looks at it specifically. So what it looks at is like how many users there are, you square that. That's how you see what the value of the network itself is. So internet is, of course, you know, billions of people are on it. So now you can actually build something on and you can do any kind of niche thing on it, on the, on the internet. And the crypto is going to be the same exact thing. Um, so telecommunication, like, you know, having two telephones versus having 12 telephones in, a, in one town, it changes. It changes the whole how this technology is used. The same thing with the internet. Fax machines, the same thing happened. And uh, I think, I think uh, you know, looking at network effect would be a good thing, how, a good thing to understand how, how this adoption is going to go. So mm-hmm. Brian talks about it. I would highly encourage people to listen to it. Uh, why don't you to share a little bit about Chad? Chad is a builder of Torch and what he thinks, what the adoption is going to take. Yeah. And just just so real quick, so I can let everybody know that we will have in the show notes S-Curve and Metcast Law. So you can look at it for yourself and you know learn a little bit. So Chad, um, you know, his thought process was we need to build the infrastructure for these new financial services. Once builders do it right, most people um, will start to use crypto and the technology uh, more. And and again, I think we are creatures of habits. I know I am. So, you know, when you get used to using things more and more, you start to see, you know, the use cases go up, up, and up. So I think Chad, you know, it's on to something when he, when he talks about that. Yeah, totally. And then going to Eric, you know, Eric, Eric brings up the Internet. He's like, you know, one of the things that is, is good about Bitcoin or crypto in general is that now we have the Internet. That people can actually talk about it. So it took internet a longer adoption time because there's no internet to talk about it. Now people get on the internet, Reddit and social media and, and you know whatever emails. The internet is there to talk about it. So he he thinks the adoption is going to be much more rapid, uh, which which I agree. I agree uh, it will because now we have a way where the world is connected because of the internet mm-hmm. and. Uh, and, and, and he thinks there are three keys, uh, in particular to Bitcoin, where the adoption will go higher. Is the number one is the, the market cap needs to be higher. So we talked about it's about 500 billion. He thinks it needs to be much higher so the price is not as volatile right. as, as, as it is today. So it would make more sense for people to want to come in and use it as a store of value so it doesn't go up and down 10% within a day because that doesn't do a good job as a store of value, right? That's more like a speculation. If you look at gold, gold doesn't fluctuate as much uh, compared to the U.S. dollar. Right. And the second thing he talks about is adoption, uh, in particular, specific countries adopting it. So we talked about a couple of countries already doing it. He thinks when more countries do it and the experiment succeeds, it's going to be a snowfall effect where more countries will do it. Mm. And that remains to be seen. So we have some experiment happening in El Salvador, as we talked about earlier. And the third part, he talks about education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having a book like Eric's book 
our podcast. I think that's going to really uh, uh, going to help people understand what this technology is, what money is, the history of money, the things we talked about earlier. So those are the three key points that Eric brings up. Um, I think they're all wonderful points. Yeah, and and when I think about adoption for crypto, I I see internationally um, that that comes from Africa. You know, I was doing a little bit of research and kind of seeing how the mobile technology is in that country, and it's very low. And there's a lot of people that live in Africa. So when you start thinking about the the mobile connectivity growing and increasing, I feel like there's going to be a lot of exponential growth, especially when you talk about adoption and education, like all those things can be held on that continent. And so I think we'll see a lot of growth coming from there and, you know, people looking towards them as, as look, they're doing it, you know. Why can't we? So um, where do you see adoption coming from, Michelle? I think it's a, it's a good point. Uh, developing countries like, you know, in Africa, uh, once you have access to just just some mobile phone, which which a lot of the world today do more than they have access to Internet, it changes how you can actually exchange value so much faster. Mm-hmm. Sending money home. If you work, you know, let's say you're African, you go to Europe or U.S. and you're sending money back. Or Philippines, I know Lightning Network is doing quite a lot of that. So I think some of those use cases need to be uh, uh, need to go through some iterations and make sure that they work. I think uh, I think that's a great place to look at, right? Like a developing country, what are they doing? Yeah. And uh, that's where the real use case is going to come in the beginning. What do I think? I think uh, I think the simple answer for adoption is going to take time. Uh, I see a lot of impatience in people who <laughs> buy Bitcoin. They wanted to go to a million, two million, five million, or whatever other things that people are buying. Adoption takes time. Uh, I think, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be faster than the internet, but it's still adoption takes time. Right. So uh, I think there are three main things that's going to happen uh, for this particular technology to take take off. One, builders need to build. So Torchain is one of the examples that we use. You know, uh, Bitcoin is also built by by someone, Ethereum. So I think the builders need to keep building. Uh, Use cases need to come out of these builders. That's that's going to really really ramp ramp it up the adoption. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyhow, so, so the builder needs to build. Adoption needs to be some use cases needs to keep coming. And I think the third key is going to is the education part of it. You know, this is where we're starting our podcast is so people can understand it. Once you understand it, you're like, oh, okay, this is not as complicated as I thought it was. And this is not a narrative A or B. It's more like, oh, this is where this technology is going to solve this problem. So right. I think more and more education would be also helpful. All three of them take time. Uh, and it's going to take builders. It's going to take uh, people who are able to explain things uh, like our podcast, books like Eric. Uh, I think I think all of that with time is going to ramp up the adoption. Yeah. what Time is the key because I remember – uh, walking into a barber shop, and uh, my barber saying, "Hey, have you heard of Dogecoin? And you gotta get on this." And so, you know, in panic, not understanding anything, I was like, "I got." Yeah, I went home and got on Doge, and and then I watch it, and I expected to be a millionaire, and and then I realized, look, that's not 
this. You know, it took me a second. It took me a couple years. I had to take a step back and say, look, the technology is amazing, but I, I was there for the wrong reasons. And so like when you say time, I think that's super important in education. So I, I learned that for myself. And now this is why we started this podcast so we can impart this information on you so you can then start to do the education for yourself. So since we're at this point, I uh, would love to just do a little bit of recap of what we talked about today. Yeah, to recap, I think uh, this technology is really essential. It's somewhat like the second coming of Internet. With Internet, we were able to really share information in a way that we couldn't share before. Uh, You know, things like blogs came around, emails came around, you know, Slack came around. Uh, We got social media. This all is possible because of the internet, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention people writing on the internet with the Kindle. Uh, you could read any book you want at any time you want. So, so internet changed quite a lot of that. I think internet, this particular technology, crypto, is going to do the same thing for exchanging value. It's going to replace things like Stripe, PayPal. Um, a lot of, you know, they still will be around. I think a lot of the market share is going to go to uh, to crypto where people can actually exchange value with shrinking of the middleman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this technology is going to be wonderful in this case. And what we're going to do is we're going to help you understand like what it is, what this technology is, uh, what it can do, what it cannot do. I think uh, that's important to understand. So as we go through our journey, we will share with you. I think uh, that's going to be the biggest takeaway where we'll demystify this particular technology and you'll understand it. And uh, then you could be educated enough to talk about it yourself too. Right. Yeah. And so with that said, I would love to just give a big shout out to Brian, Eric, and Chad for coming on. So why crypto, we really appreciate you coming by and uh, being on our season one. Uh, And we will have much more guests that will be coming by. Vishal, do you have any, any last comments and something that maybe... Oh no, that's this. This recaps uh, quite a lot for for our, what we've been thinking and talking about. So we we thank everyone for joining us. I'll uh, I'll let you recap. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's it's truly about the education. I mean, that that is the the one thing that I want to share with everybody. As I sit here and we have the best of the best builders and and people coming on the show. Um, that I'm learning. And again, we want to give that back to you. So that is, you know, the most important thing that we're doing here. So um, thank you for joining us for another edition of So Why Crypto. Uh, I would make sure that if you're not following us, following us, okay? So Why Crypto on everything, Twitter, website, and YouTube. Um, that's it for me. You got anything else? Oh, that's it. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and uh, joining us. Yeah. Make sure you subscribe so you know when new episodes are coming. For myself, Quay, and for Shaw. Thank you so much. Thank you. So why crypto? Why crypto? Why crypto? So why crypto? So why crypto? Featuring Vishal and Quay. Quay.